0: I'm thankful to be able to be here tonight and to present uh, this lesson. I know it's been months in coming and kind of talked about it off and on with family and a few folks. I see that it's already 7.15 according to the clock and you're here. So uh, the clock's never been changed. So it looks like you're going to stay at 8 o'clock, (laughs) maybe. Hopefully we'll be out way before then. But I appreciate you being here, and appreciate the opportunity to present this. I hope this lesson will be an encouragement to you on the topic that I've chosen, um, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But can I have a show of hands if you have ever looked online to either learn about something or to learn how to do something? Raise your hand. Wow. Just about everybody raised their hand. Um, We do it all the time now. It's just natural to us ever since we have a computer in the palm of our hands. It's just one of those things we do. We don't even think about it. We look online to learn how to fix things. We look online to learn about things that we don't know. We look online to get directions about where we need to go to. Um, And I do think my wife has a professional degree in Googling. You, You may have never heard of that, but I do believe she does. She is our Google queen for sure. Um, She can find information on anything, including recipes, getting away, or anything that I name. She can find it almost instantly. Sometimes we even have a friendly competition about who can get there first. And I'll throw out the topic, say go, and she's already downloaded the information, written a one-page executive summary, (laughs) handed it to me before I even get the topic typed in the search box. So she's just that good with Google. So it shouldn't surprise us that that's the way we do things. We all gather information that way. And it should not come as any surprise to us to learn that that's also how people also look online to find out about salvation. Now, unfortunately, online, if you look online to gather information about salvation these days, it can come up with different ways to be saved. Now, that's okay if you're trying to find out how to fix a washing machine. But when it comes to different ways about salvation, well, that can be outright dangerous with eternal consequences. So it is with that in mind that I looked online to see what would, the, what would I find online about the topic of baptism. And I just did not go anywhere. I specifically went to four websites of local congregations local churches that I know people who attend there, because I was curious, you know, just what do they believe and what goes on? And here's what I found. In this first instance, um, I'm not going to mention where these came from, by the way, Um, there was a topic actually on water baptism. matter of fact, if you go to the website, there's a video running of people being baptized, and I thought that was very interesting. But if you look at it, they say that, uh, according to the Bible, all believers should be baptized in water. And they had a little section on learn more. And when I click the learn more, it says, but baptism does not make someone a Christian. It simply shows that they already are one. Okay. Let's go to the second website. When I went to the second website, there was this neat little chart there about the gospel plan of salvation. And if you notice down in man's part, on number five, it says be baptized, and they happen, happen to have scriptural references on this. So I just clipped it and put it in my slide. <laughs> you can see what they said. I went to the third one, and they also had a picture of someone being baptized, and they had a little section on water baptism. So I clicked that, and this is what they found. Um, they had a pretty good long explanation. They talked about who should be baptized, and what, baptized what baptism symbolizes, And they ask a final question, is my salvation dependent upon being baptized? Notice he said it's the first step of obedience. They said it shows, uh, symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and it shows what happened in your heart. They talk about symbolically being washed and clean, but when it came to the question of is salvation dependent on being baptized, they said it is not necessary for salvation. This congregation happened to also mention that if you want to be baptized, they schedule those on Thursdays and on Sundays. And finally, I went to one other, and it said, what we believe. Well, I thought that was pretty important. So when I looked, looked at it and went deeper into it, it says, it is essential on all these four things. One of the things they said is essential, it's essential that we be baptized or immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. So When, if someone is online looking for something like that, um, how do we, how do we, what would we conclude, what would they conclude when they saw that presentation? Well, they would conclude that all four definitely believe that baptism should be practiced today, but there is a disagreement on the purpose of baptism. Two of them say that baptism is not necessary. The other two say that baptism is necessary. Well, that presents a dilemma to someone who's looking for, about the topic of baptism. How do you resolve that? What should you do? Well, any honest seeker of truth needs to obviously understand them when it comes to spiritual matters. We must seek answers from the Bible and see what the Bible says about baptism. So, what does the Bible say about baptism? Well, just like any topic we want to learn about, I think it would be helpful to find all the verses in the Bible that discuss baptism, analyze those verses and then draw some conclusions. So that's what we're going to do for the next two hours. No, I'm just kidding. If we take a thirty-thousand-foot view of the New Testament, it's real interesting what you find. You will find that the word baptism or some derivative of baptism, and what I mean by that is baptized, baptized, baptizing, is used some ninety times in the Gospels and in Acts, and in the epistles. And if you draw these down into the references or the contextual discussions that are being talked about, you'll see that there are five basic topics where baptism is mentioned all, all these 90 times. There's the baptism of John, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking about the baptism that he is going to suffer, talking about his crucifixion. Uh, there's a baptism of Moses that's mentioned, and there's the baptism that Jesus commanded and that his apostles executed. Now you can see that the word baptism is used 41 times when talking about the baptism of John. Now, you, you know, I'm going to count it. So if you do half the math, if you do the math on this and about half the times that baptism is mentioned in the New Testament, it's talking about the baptism of John. And it's referenced 34 times when talking about the baptism that Jesus commanded and that the apostles and the evangelists had ministered. So before we move to a discussion about the baptism that Jesus commanded, I do think it's important that we at least address the baptism of John. And when we talk about the baptism of John, I think we need to make sure that there's no mistake. The baptism of John was certainly important. After all, he was preparing the people for the Christ that would come, and the baptism that he preached was from God. John did just not make that up himself. It was something that God told him he needed to preach about. Furthermore, we can see the influence of John's baptism stayed around for quite a while within the Jewish circles. Now, how do we know that? If you take a look at Paul's second journey, which ended around A.D. 52, some 20 years after after Jesus gave the Great Commission, in Acts 18, which at the end of Paul's second journey, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus while he headed back to Antioch. And while they were there, a Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. And the Bible describes him in Acts chapter 18, verse 25, as a man who had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit, and he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And, in verse 26, it says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, well, what did Aquila and Priscilla do when they heard Apollos speaking? Well, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately, verse 26. Now, it doesn't tell us what, he, what they told him, but I'm pretty well convinced that they provided him information on the baptism that Jesus commanded. Now, why do I say that? Because a similar event happened in Acts chapter 19 when Paul came back to Ephesus on his third journey, and there he encountered some disciples. And in that encounter, in that discussion, he said, when he was talking to him, Acts chapter 19, verse 3, Well, oh, then what were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Well, Paul responded, Well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling us the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, it says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what can we conclude from these two encounters? It seems that once the baptism of John or Jesus was implemented, excuse me, the baptism of John was no longer applicable. And it was certainly not the baptism that the apostles and the evangelists were ministering and teaching. So having taken a look at that, Let's turn to see what the Bible says about the baptism that Jesus commanded. You'll recall from the Gospels that um, we have an account of, the Gospels tells the account of Jesus giving his apostles the Great Commission before he ascended to heaven. And after he ascended, it would be up to his apostles to go about and execute the mission that Jesus gave them to do, to go into all the world. And as a quick reminder, this is what the Great Commission says. Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verse nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mark records a similar thing when he said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and is baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Well, that's what Jesus instructed them to preach. And we can see that Jesus connected salvation to two things, belief in him and being baptized for the remission of your sins. But because of time, I'm not going to discuss belief tonight, but I am going to be obviously talking about baptism. Wouldn't it be nice if there were examples in the New Testament of the apostles and evangelists instructing someone to be baptized? If we could find that, after all, it would give us some insight into this particular topic. And we have such a book, the book of Acts. It is the historical account of how the church of our Lord started, how it grew, and it spans some 30 years showing the very beginning of the church. And it talks specifically about specific examples of what non-Christians were told to do in order to be saved and have their sins forgiven. So in our study tonight, we're going to look at those 16 references in Acts, and we're also going to quickly discuss some of the 16 references to baptism in the epistles. One of those references was made by Peter. The other references were made by Paul when he wrote the letters to Rome, Corinth, Galatians, Ephesus, Ephesus excuse me, and Colossae. Now, Before we do that, I want to quickly take a pause. I want to make sure we understand the perspective between Acts and the epistles. And this is important. In Acts, we see examples of what non-Christians were told to do to become Christians in order to be saved. So when baptism is mentioned in Acts, it's in the context of instructing somebody to do something. Now, that's totally different than the epistles. In the epistles, the letters were written to people who were already Christians. And as a result, when baptism is mentioned in the epistles, it's in the context of reminding them about something that they had already done. So Acts looks forward to something they should do. And in the epistles, it looks backwards to something that they have already done. So let's start by looking at the references to baptism made by Peter. Our first reference is going to come in Acts chapter 2, where we find ourselves in the city of Jerusalem. This is the occasion of the beginning of the church, and we read in chapter 2, verse 1, that the this is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and filled the 12 apostles as promised by Jesus, which enabled them to preach the gospel accurately and as God wanted them to. And on this occasion... Thousands of people had gathered and heard the very first sermon given by Peter. At one point, these people became so distraught because they learned finally that they were guilty of calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. And in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, they cried out, Oh, what can we do about that? What shall we do? Well, Peter responded in the very first sermon and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the instruction that he gave. The question is, did anyone take advantage of that? We see in chapter 2, verse 41, so then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day 3,000 souls were added. So we have our first two references in Acts, Acts chapter 32, verse 37 and 41. 3,000 people were baptized that day. Now, according to Jesus' statement, what happens when you believe and are baptized as he gave in the Great Commission? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, a few years later, we find that God instructed Peter to go to the house of a soldier by the name of Cornelius in the city of Caesarea. The Bible describes Cornelius as a devout man who feared God, but there were two problems. Number one... He wasn't a Christian, and number two, he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. So Peter at first hesitated, and then he was finally convinced to go to his house. Now, I'll let you read the details about this a bit later, but this was a big deal. This will be the first time the gospel is ever preached to a Gentile audience. And the question is, would he change his message to the Gentiles? Or would it be just what he told the Jews? Well, let's see. Well, when Peter arrived at Cornelius' house, we're told in verses 36 and 40 that he told Cornelius about Jesus, about how God had anointed him, and that the Jews had put him to death, but God had raised him up. Verse 40. And then it goes on to verse 42. And I actually, I don't want you to look at there yet. It goes on in verse 42. And I love verse 42 because it seems to be a reference to the Great Commission. Listen to what he says in verse 42. And he, Jesus, ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who had been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of of sins. And at this point, he was interrupted. He stopped. He realized... In in right in front of him, that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on these Gentiles, and that obviously was unusual. It says in verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues, a foreign language, and exalting God. Now, the only other time this had happened is Acts chapter two, when Peter and the other eleven apostles received the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. So Peter and those who came with him could not believe what they saw. It was amazing. This obviously hadn't happened since that day. And so what do they respond with? Chapter 10, verse 47. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? In verse 48, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus and when they ask him to stay on for a few days. Question. Now, when it says when they ordered him to be baptized, does that sound like it was important? Does it sound like it was necessary? Does it remind you of what Jesus said? He who believes and has been baptized shall be saved. Finally, let's look at a statement that Peter made some 30 years after he preached the very first gospel sermon. In this epistle, notice what he said, and notice what baptism does. Beginning verse 20, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience, The resurrection of Jesus. I mean, you could argue that 30 years had lapsed and maybe it was a different message, but that's not what Peter said. And after all, he was the first person to even preach the gospel. So he preached it 30 years ago, he preached it 30 years later. Same message, same result. When you think about our two questions, if you looked in the Bible about what Peter said about baptism, would you conclude that baptism should be practiced today? Well, I think the answer would be yes. Would you conclude that Peter thought baptism is required for salvation? We've looked at these examples, and I think you have to say, well, yes, Peter thought that. So now we want to focus our attention on Philip the the evangelist. What did he say about baptism? In Acts chapter 8, Philip was in the city of Samaria, and he was there to preach the gospel. Verse 5 says that he went there and he began proclaiming Christ to them. Now, when you proclaim Christ, what do you tell people to do? We'll find out. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. And when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God... In the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. That's reference number five and six of the sixteen in Acts in the book of Acts. Number five and six. By looking at the response of these folks in Samaria to the gospel, you can deduct what they were told to do. Since they believed and were baptized. You have to ask the question, where did they get that idea? Did they think of that on their own? Or was it something that was told them to do? Were they told to believe and to be baptized? Well, obviously, Philip told them to do that. Why? We keep going back to the same thing. It was part of the Great Commission. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now, in passing, I'm also going to go ahead and mention the seventh reference to baptism that's mentioned in Acts, and it's also mentioned in this particular chapter. You recall that after the apostles in Jerusalem learned that the Samaritans had obeyed the gospel, they sent Peter and John to them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 16, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord. So that was the seventh reference. Later, when we get to Acts chapter 8, we read about the events of Philip talking to a Jewish worshiper from Ethiopia. And I must say, I think this one is the most compelling example to me of what people were told to do and how they responded to that. The Ethiopian eunuch had traveled to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was on his way home. Philip was told to go and find him and talk to him. And the eunuch, upon them getting together, invites Philip into his chariot. Everybody has a chariot around our houses. So eunuch invited Philip into to his chariot, and he joined him. And in verse 35, it says, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, which was Isaiah, he preached Jesus to him. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? It's very similar to what Philip did earlier in Samaria when he proclaimed Christ to them. Now, we know what the Samaritans did. They believed and were baptized. What will the eunuch do? Will he do the same thing? Well, as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, let's take a second and recap. It says Philip preached Jesus to him. That's all it says. And then Philip responds to that preaching and asks, I mean, the eunuch responds to that preaching and asks, what prevents me from being baptized? Again, you have to ask yourself, why would he ask to be baptized if, if it says the only thing was preached to him was Jesus? And it's obvious that if you preach Jesus, that includes preaching what Jesus commanded, and that was, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And the eunuch wanted to be saved. He wanted to have his his sins forgiven, and so he asked the preacher if he could. The problem is, at this particular point, Philip doesn't know whether he believes or not. Philip's been doing all the talking, obviously. (laughs) And the eunuch, he don't know what he believes. And how's he going to find out? Will he ask him? Verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. That is, you may be baptized just like you requested. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then we have our ninth reference. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. There was no delay. Philip didn't say, well, let's just wait till we get to the next town. He didn't say, well, we're on a desert road. He didn't say, you're going to get all wet. We don't have any towels. He didn't say anything like that. He ordered the chariot to stop, to take advantage of the fact that there was water for him to baptize the eunuch. There was a sense of urgency to the matter. And he wanted to help him obey the gospel as soon as he could. Why? Well, you already know the answer. It's part of the Great Commission. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall... Be saved. Now, if you think about our two questions again, if you looked in the Bible at what Philip said about baptism, would you conclude that baptism should be practiced today? Well, the answer is yes. Would you conclude that it is necessary for salvation? Philip said it was, so yes. Well, now let's shift our focus to the preaching of Ananias, the third person to mention baptism in Acts. And we'll find this events recorded in Acts chapter 9 and verse 22. And here we're talking about the conversion of Saul. From the very beginning of the church, Saul had been a thorn in the side to Christians, hadn't he? He had been going everywhere trying to persecute the Christians, the Jewish Christians, the Jews who became Christians. And he was persecuting them and trying to arrest them because they had departed from the Jewish faith and became Christians. And now in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus to arrest Jewish Christians and to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. We're told in verse 5 that something happened. What was that event? Well, it says that the Lord appeared to Saul and spoke to him. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told what you must do. Do you think Saul believes in Jesus now? I mean, if the Lord appeared to me, I would. <laughs> I think he would. I think he did. Does it indicate that his sins were forgiven? No. Nope. Matter of fact, Jesus said, go to Damascus, go to the city, and there you will be told what you must do. So Saul is blinded. Somebody had to lead him to Damascus, the people that were with him. And now the disciple Ananias was going to go to, go to Saul and talk to him. What would he tell him? Verse 17 of chapter 9 says, Ananias departed. He entered the house where Saul was, and after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. Our 10th reference to baptism in the book of Acts. How did he know to be baptized? When we looked at what Peter and Philip preached, we could see that the preacher always told the prospect to be baptized. This case is no different. Obviously, Peter, or Ananias in this case, told Paul, Saul, that he needed to be baptized. We're not left to guess about this, though. Later on in the account, Acts chapter 22, Saul, now Paul, reminds us of exactly what Ananias told him. He says, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Why? The Great Commission. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Thinking about our two questions again, if you look in the Bible what Ananias said about baptism, Would you conclude that baptism should be practiced today? I think you would. Would you conclude that it's necessary for salvation? Probably would. Well, let's look at the fourth and final preacher that mentions baptism in the book of Acts, and that's uh, Paul. Acts chapter 16, we find that Paul is on his second journey. He's in Philippi, and he meets a Jewish woman named Lydia who's there on business. And we are told in verse 14 that she had been listening to Paul speak the gospel. And verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. With this many examples that we've seen so far, how do you think Lydia is going to respond to the gospel? Let's see. Acts chapter 16, verse 15 says, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Just like all the other examples, we can look and see how Lydia responded to Paul's preaching to figure out what she was told to do. Here it says she was baptized. Again, did she just make this up on her own? Or was it something that the preacher told the prospect to do? And obviously, we know what what happened there. Later in the same chapter, Paul has the occasion to speak to a person who oversaw the jail in Philippi. Paul and Silas had been falsely accused of causing chaos in the city. They had been thrown into jail awaiting further investigation. They had been praying and singing hymns and at midnight an earthquake came, shook all the prison doors open, all the prison doors open, all the chains fell off, and the jailer who had been asleep, he awoke to all the commotion and when he saw that the doors had been opened and that the chains had fallen off, he took the sword to kill himself and Paul said, "Whoa!" Don't do that. Everybody's here. Nobody's escaped. Verse 29. And then trembling, the jailer fell down to his knees and says, What must I do to be saved? Now I want you to look at this. Remember what Jesus said. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Look how Paul reveals these truths to the jailer. Verse 31, they said, Believe in the Lord, and you will be saved, you and your household. Well, at this point, the jailer did not know much about the Lord, obviously, because it says that they spoke of the word of the Lord to him, verse 32, and to him together with all who were in his household. They spoke the word of the Lord. Now, that sounds very similar to what Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch, does it? Remember there he said, He preached Jesus to them. Here it says he spoke the word of the Lord to them. When the eunuch heard the word, what was his response? Here's water, what hinders me to be baptized? What's the response that the jailer will do? The 13th reference. And he, the jailer, took them that very other night, midnight, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. When was he baptized? Somewhere around midnight. It wasn't Thursday. It wasn't this coming Thursday. It wasn't this coming Sunday. Why the sense of urgency? Because Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The jailer wanted to be saved. And he didn't want to be saved three days from now, four days from now. He wanted to be saved right then. And as a result, that's what they did. Our last three references can be found in Acts chapter 18 or 19. Uh, That's when Paul's in Corinth preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 18, verse 5, they said, When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Did anyone respond to his preaching? (coughs) Acts chapter 18, verse 8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians when they heard they believing and were being baptized. Why were they baptized? Because Jesus said they should. The last two references really come from what was something we'd already discussed earlier, talking about the baptism of John. Remember when Paul came back to Ephesus, he had this discussion with the the, the disciples who were only equated with the baptism of John, and we already read that earlier. After he told them that they need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, verse 6, Verse 19, verse 5, they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Quickly, I want to mention one other thing. I said, that's, by the way, that's all the references in the book of Acts. There's only 16 of them. It's only made by four preachers. Peter, Paul, Ananias, and who was the other one? I forgot. (laughs) Philip, yeah, thank you. Memory loss there. All right, we'd already mentioned some of these, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 6, 3, and 4, Leland mentioned that this morning in his sermon. Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For by one spirit, you're all baptized into one body. Galatians 3, 27, for you've all been baptized into Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, on the great lesson about unity and the seven things that we have to be all united on. One Lord, one faith. It's strange, but there's baptism in there, isn't it? Matter of fact, when I look at that, I always say, why is baptism in there? Well, now we know. It's important. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you also raised with him through faith in the working of God. Notice, the language that Paul uses always talks about something they had done in the past, not something that they were to do in the future. And then he goes on and makes some discussion to 1 Corinthians 1 about the bickering that happened in Corinth on who baptized who. and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he mentions about the baptism of the dead. When you think about our two questions again, could you conclude that Paul thought baptism should be practiced today? Yeah. Do you think Paul thought baptism was required for salvation? Yes. Which brings us to our closing. Tonight we took a 30,000 foot view of the topic of baptism. We drilled down into the context of discussing the baptism that Jesus commanded, and we looked at its references in, in the Gospels too, the 16 references in Acts, and then we quickly looked at some of the references in the epistles. We saw that Jesus gave the Great Commission and he connected belief and baptism. He said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. We saw how the apostles began to carry out that message. And we looked at examples of four preachers who included baptism for their forgiveness of sins as part of the message that was preached to non-Christians in Jerusalem, Caesarea, Samaria, Corinth, and Philippi. We saw how Saul was instructed to be baptized and wash away his sins. And we noticed that the Ethiopians said, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? What about you? After seeing what you saw tonight, would you conclude that baptism should be practiced today? I hope the answer is yes. Would you conclude that baptism is required for salvation? Again, I hope you would see that the answer is yes, because Peter, Philip, Ananias, and Paul all said it was. Would you conclude that you need to be baptized tonight for the forgiveness of your sins? I hope that your answer is yes. And the reason why is this message is not going to change. It's an eternal message, and it's eternal message that Jesus gave, and it's an eternal command that he expects us to do. And the real question is, have you been baptized? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And if you do, why not be baptized for the remission of your sins? Do exactly what the, what the Lord commanded us to do in the Great Commission. Do exactly what the Ethiopian eunuch did. When he said, right here, here's water. What prevents you from being baptized? If you feel the sense of urgency to do it tonight, we invite you to come forward when we sing the song of invitation. And it'll be simple. You just come forward. Take a seat on the front row. And after the song is finished, we'll ask you the same thing that Philip asked the eunuch. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And upon hearing your confession, we'll simply do what Philip did with the eunuch. We'll take you down into the water And baptize you for the remission of sins. We didn't read. What did the eunuch do after he was baptized? It says he went on his way rejoicing. And you will too. So, we hope you will come. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. Let's stand and sing.